and welcome to the latest episode of the Library Girl and Book Boy podcast. Today I'm interviewing poet, author and performer Neil Zetta and we have some more wonderful reviews from the pupils at Kempshot Junior School. I hope you enjoy. Hello everyone, today I am talking to poet, author and performer Neil Zetta. Hi there Neil. Hello there, hi, hi, nice nice to talk to you Jo. Yeah, thanks so much for joining me and the reason that you have joined me is to tell us all about your amazing poetry books that you have out and coming in the future and because during lockdown you've been sharing a poem a day on Twitter. And lots of people have been really enjoying reading them and I've been enjoying reading them. And I was just wondering why you decided to start sharing a poem a day. Um, well, t- to, to be honest, I guess it's the same reason why I do my work. Um, I mean, I love working with children. I work with teens. I work with adults, too. Most of my time is spent in schools, uh, more in primary because there are more primary schools. Um, but I love to work with poetry uh, it's the three E's is what I say. The first thing is to uh, engage children. I love to engage children, get them interested in books, interested in reading. Um, obviously, a lot of what I do is educating because I also get them to try and write and perform poems as well. So stretching their literacy, uh, whatever level they're at with their writing or their reading. Uh, and also I like to entertain. And um, I regard myself as an entertainer as well as an author and a poet. Obviously, I can't do that readily at the moment because schools are shut or mainly shut. Um, But what I can do is do a similar thing online. So hopefully by people reading my poems, I'm still spreading the word, getting them engaged, educated, entertained um, and getting them to want to find out a little bit more about my books or, or indeed other poets' books and poetry in general. Yeah, it's brilliant because poetry does tend to get fairly poor representation I find I found in schools often it's something that teachers either find quite difficult to teach or isn't very well resourced so I think the more that you can do as a poet to publicize you know your work and other poets work the better really yeah I think teachers are very nervous about poetry and I understand that I'm not criticizing teachers at all I mean it's a specialism um, and if, just as if I was a teacher I find it really difficult I think to teach all the things that teachers teach in a primary school or the depth which they might teach a particular subject in a secondary school um, and poetry, uh, you don't really get teachers that just teach poetry in school. Mm. Um, so to get an external person in, um, I fully understand why they do that. And, and I guess that's quite fortunate because if nobody was frightened of poetry and everybody understood it completely and how to teach it, then I'd probably be out of a job. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's really why I'm in schools, uh, in schools regularly. And what, do, what to you is the importance of poetry? Why is it so important to make sure that our children... Right. Well, I kind of think I kind of think we do it wrong in this country. Again, uh, not criticising teachers. I know there's a national curriculum to follow, but if you look at the way that literacy is taught, children learn to read and write stories, for example, at quite a young age, and look at things like comprehension. And then maybe for National Poetry Day or one or two days a year at the most, uh, some schools perhaps have a poetry week, but for not many days, uh, they might suddenly teach poetry and dip in and out of it, tick a box, and then move on. Uh, whereas if you think about it, poetry is a stripped down form of language. It's very, very simple. It's very straightforward. Um, I don't know if you said to me, write a poem about um, a goldfish. I can say splish, splash, splish, splash. I'm swimming around in circles. I'm swimming around in circles. Splish, splash, splish, splash. I'm a goldfish. What are you? 
I've just made that up. It's not very good. <laughs> right. But you say my point. It's a very, very simple um, way to communicate. And that, to me, should be almost like a building block of literature and literacy. Uh, and once we learn poetry, we should then move on to more complex writing, like stories that have got characters and plots and far more complicated to write. But um, we do it the other way in this country. And, and I think that's a great shame. So poetry, I think, is, is a great way of engaging at the most basic level of literacy. And also um, for any children at all, I think, of, that find poetry writing rather sorry, to find literacy rather difficult. Um, of course, poetry is a great way to get into it because it hasn't got that structure um, that perhaps um, the more able children don't find so daunting. But if you do find writing and reading quite hard, um, poetry is a, is a much more stripped way to strip down way to get into it, in, into, into literacy. So I do actually spend quite a lot of time when I'm in schools, often, depending on what the schools want me to do, to work with lower ability children or special needs children. Um, and I've done the same with um, adults with learning difficulties and, and, and all kinds of um, different conditions uh, across my career. Poetry is a great way to reach lots of people. Definitely. And it's interesting what you said about us doing things the wrong way around and doing story writing perhaps earlier than we should, mm. because poetry does lead on so beautifully from those nursery rhymes that even the very smallest children can memorise and know by heart. Poetry seems like the natural step on from that, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, if you take that very, very silly and stupid example I just thought of as I went along about the goldfish, um, if you then saw that and then said to children, OK, that's a, an eight line, fairly silly poem about a goldfish. Um, what kind of ways could we describe the goldfish? Let's think of some adjectives. What kind of things could they be doing? Let's think of some verbs. How would they be doing them? Let's come up with some interesting adverbs and start to build and develop that poem or the language around it. You've got a whole pool of words, if you excuse the water pun, um, <laughs> that you could then start to use and, and build perhaps into a descriptive passage. And then that descriptive passage can be built into maybe a story about what the goldfish would do if it escaped from its bowl, if it got fed up with swimming around in circles, if another goldfish was introduced to it. But the starting point are the very, very simple words that you would have in the poem. Yeah, definitely. Now, as we seem to be on the subject of um, schools and getting good ideas out of children, I know that you do an awful lot of workshops physically in schools when you're able mm. and online at the moment. Mm. Do you have a kind of top activity or warm up that always gets children inspired to write or perform or both? Well, I've got loads of different word games that I play um, with children. Uh, I mean, I won't go into the specific details of each word game. That would probably be a little bit uh, tedious and, and not quite work without a, a whiteboard in front of me in a class. <laughs> um, but kinds of word games are really good just to get children familiar with language, get them comfortable um, with knowing each other, because sometimes I work with children from different schools together um, or different groups within the same school together from different classes or different ages. Um, although more often than not, I've, when I'm in a school, I've probably got uh, just a regular mixed class. Um, so word games can be a great way to, to engage and entertain and, and make them think about words. Um, but I always find the best thing and the simplest thing is simply to perform the poems. That's what everybody wants to do. I remember wants to hear the first time, well, not the first time, but very, very early on in my writing career, my poetry career, I went into a school um, not too far from me and uh, started to talk to the class and the teachers about poetry. And, and the teacher said, well, just perform them they want to hear them that's what they're there for that's what they want to hear and ever since then I've stuck by that and I normally start off any writing activity any workshop any performance or writing workshop 
um, with about two or three poems. And my poems tend to be interactive, um, so children need to call things out. When I read some poems later in this interview, although obviously there's no audience and I won't make you call things out, um, you'd be able to guess just where children do interact and, and in which bits they intervene on. Um, and that, that's very good because it breaks the ice. Um, most of my poems are funny, not all of them, but 95% of them are comedic. Um, so that makes them laugh. Laughter is a great way to break the ice as well and, and um, ease people into a, a, a harder task, which I guess is, is the more serious side, the writing and, and the literacy. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, so sharing poems. Of the poems that you've been sharing on Twitter, is there one that seemed to get a particularly strong response from people? And if so, would you care to, to share one with us now? Yeah, I've got this one, which has actually been in two of my books. It's been in um, It's Not Fine to Sit on a Porcupine, which is a book with about 50 mixed poems all written by me. Uh, and then I've also got Yuck and Yum. And because it's a food poem, I took it out of Porcupine and I put it into Yuck and Yum as well a couple of years later. Uh, and Yuck and Yum is a feast of funny food poems, which I've written with my uh, good friend Joshua Siegel, who's uh, an award-winning poet. We're, we're very good friends and we go back a long way. And um, I'm going to read Kids Love Ketchup, which, of course, is all about ketchup. Um, when I was a child, my mum always used to say to me, I would like ketchup so much I would have a bath in it if I could. Completely true. And um, it's also, uh, I also wrote it with uh, the thought of one of my friends, school friends in my mind, who used to make ketchup sandwiches and bring them into school. No butter, no meat, no fish, nothing else, just ketchup in bread. And he started off with a day, they were quite white. And by the time we got to lunchtime, as you can imagine, they were very pink and soggy. Oh, yes. Yes. So this is Kids Love Ketchup. And the word ketchup, and I'll um, accentuate it as I read it, that's the word that children actually call out right the way through the poem. It goes like this. Kids love ketchup on their chips. Kids love ketchup on their crisps. Kids love ketchup on their eggs. Kids love ketchup on their bread. Kids love ketchup on baked beans and to drown the taste of greens. Kids love ketchup, though, of course, posh kids say, tomato sauce. Kids love ketchup on pork chops, chicken, chocolate, lollipops. Kids love ketchup. They form cues just to watch that ketchup ooze. Kids love ketchup on meat pies. Make my bottle jumbo size. Kids love ketchup on their plates. It's the relish they most rate. Kids love ketchup in their hair, hands, nose, clothes and everywhere. Kids love ketchup 24-7, want to live in ketchup heaven. Kids love ketchup on their cheese. Kids love ketchup freshly squeezed. Dig that red ketchupy mess. Do kids love ketchup? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Brilliant, thank you. That's and I think that the reason, the reason why that one uh, is going down particularly well is, is I actually posted it um, on Twitter uh, and then I also did um, a YouTube video of it. So it's on my YouTube channel as well. So I think that's probably why that one's uh, got quite a lot of hits and interest uh, since uh, since lockdown. And everybody does love ketchup. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I must admit, I don't really have a bath in it, but, um, no. but there you go. No, well, I'm glad to hear that. So tell us about your YouTube channel. I know that you've shared hundreds and hundreds of your poetry readings for free, aren't they, on your YouTube um, channel. Why did you do that? Um. To be honest, uh, I mean, I do see my poems all the time and I know some other authors or poets are a little bit reticent about sharing work in case people don't buy their books if they do share their poems online. Um, but I think I'm very, very fortunate. I can create poetry. Uh, I use it as a, as a way to get messages across. 
uh, at the end of the day, I'm a communicator. I think that's what most authors are, or poets. They've got ideas in their head. They want to get them across to other people and communicate them. And I want to do that in whatever way possible. Um, and whether we're in lockdown or whether we're not in lockdown, those poems are always there and always have been. And uh, not all of the poems that I've written are up there simply because I've written about 900 poems in my time. Mm -hmm. But um, certainly there's probably three or 400. I haven't actually counted them, but there are lots. And most of the more recent ones are all up there. So it's really just so I can um, allow people to communicate with me, enjoy my work. And I don't really think that it stops people buying my books. Um, I think uh, the secondary benefit is if you have got your work out there and people enjoy your work online, then they'll buy a book as well. I think it actually adds adds to the uh, chances of people purchasing your book and creates interest in your work. And of course, you can share them readily online as well. I don't mind who uses my poems so long as they don't make money out of them without my permission, which, of course, most people generally don't. Um, but uh, they're there for people to use. And um, I'm trying to push that, especially during lockdown now, because uh, obviously teachers are finding it a lot harder to, to, to teach and access um, some of the normal resources that they'd be able to. I agree. And I have to say, as a teacher during lockdown or not during lockdown, um, whenever I've used any kind of um, text, whether it's a poem or a story, I always look on YouTube for clips mm. of the author reading it just because often children are very surprised what a poet what an author actually looks like they have quite a fixed stereotype in their mind and I quite like to um, maybe help shift their perception a little as to what a poet or an author looks like so I always look for video clips where I can. Yeah and that's why I did the YouTube channel because um, lots of teachers often say to me uh, well okay we can read your poem but we want to hear you reading it and obviously I can't be in every school um, every day all at once uh, and that's the great thing about YouTube. You can see a, uh, a poet there, um, a real life poet or an online life poet <laughs> um, reading a poem. And of course, when a poet actually reads a poem, it's very different from the way that um, a teacher or a child would read it. They might not read it uh, any worse than uh, a, a, or let's look at it positively. They might read it um, as good as the poet might read it, but they're doing it a different way. Mm. Everybody has their own interpretation and uh, their own idea in their head how a particular poem will be should be uh, performed and sometimes it's quite interesting actually hearing a child or a teacher read out one of my poems and doing it differently to me and seeing perhaps a different rhythm in it that I didn't quite see doesn't mean it's better doesn't mean it's worse it's just a different way of doing it um, so yeah I think sharing work and um, having uh, YouTube as well so you can actually see uh, an author or poet performing is, is, is really really important. I agree. So if people wanted, after listening to this, to go onto YouTube and find your channel, what would be the best thing for them to search for? Well, all they do, they just go into YouTube and they search for me, uh, not me, not M-E, but Neil Zetta. And the thing is, lots of people spell my name wrong because they concentrate so hard on the Zetta, they get the first name wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm actually an N-E-A-L, not N-E-I-L, N-E-A-L. And Zetta is Z-E-T-T-E-R. So if you put that into YouTube, then it will just switch across to my um, YouTube channel. And I should add as well that my um, free poems, uh, the hundreds of free poems are on my website, which is called cccpworkshops.co.uk, cccpworkshops.co.uk, which is a strange name, um, but it stands for Confidence in Communication Through Comedy Poetry. And that's really what I try and do. I think 
probably most children and adults and teenagers that come along to my sessions, they might love poetry, but they're probably not going to be poets when they grow up, not professional poets, because it's quite an unusual job. Um, but I think what I can give them from reading, writing and performing poetry is confidence. And I think people with confidence can do anything in any subject uh, and excel in so many ways um, in life. So that's really what I'm trying to teach people to express themselves through performing and reading poetry and writing poetry. Great. Thank you. Now, you mentioned that um, becoming a poet is quite an unusual job and quite um, specialised, mm. quite niche. How did you fall into this role? Uh, well, I've been writing poems since I was six years old. I mean, that was when I wrote my first poem, which is actually in the introduction of my first book, Bees in My Bananas, um, which is just a, a five line limerick. Uh, and that's an award winning book. But uh, I don't think I got any awards for, the, for that particular poem. I was only six. Oh. But uh, <laughs> I put it in the introduction just for fun. Um, and I never really stopped writing since then. I used to write song lyrics and poems um, during my teens. Um, not particularly good, but obviously the more you write, the better you get. Um, and then when I got to about 21, I decided I wanted to do something with my poems professionally, but I couldn't really figure out how to make a living out of it. And I used to have a job working in uh, local government, in local authorities, um, in communications, which, of course, is what I'm all about still, even as a poet, communications. I've mentioned that word many times. Um, and one day um, when I was working in PR and communications, we had uh, like a learn at work day for all the staff. And anybody that had a particular skill could really teach the staff their skill. Um, it didn't have to be anything to do with their job at all. And I had a group that I taught poems to and how to write poems. And it went so well. And I got so much good feedback that literally in the evening, um, I sat down and said, I want to do this full time. Obviously, I was already writing poems. Um, and I was performing them in West End comedy clubs, my adult poems, for many, many years. But that was really just for fun, just a hobby. Uh, and I also took some days off occasionally from work and went into schools and did the same thing, uh, obviously with children's poetry. But I couldn't really see how to make a living out of just the performing. But then I realised, of course, it's not really about just performing. It's about getting children and adults and teens to actually write poems. And that's when I started running my workshops, CCCP workshops. Uh, and uh, that was on uh, that was May 2005. So really, I've been doing that full time since then and uh, virtually every day of the week I've been in the school since then um, so that's a, that's a long answer to a short question but it's, it's never an easy one to answer because it's quite an unusual job I guess so um, you know you do need the full picture there. No it's, it's always really interesting hearing how people came to write books or poems so it's mm. interesting that you came from the communications background anyway which obviously fed in beautifully to to what you now do. Yeah I used to I used to train people as well I mean I moved across from PR in the last few years in my life, um, working in, a, in a, what I always call a normal job, mm -hmm. um, to customer services. Uh, this was in Westminster Council, right in the heart of London. So in the evening, I had all the comedy clubs I used to go and perform in. And during the day, I then started um, working in my, my newer role in customer services. And I used to train a lot of people then in customer service management. So, you know, treating, uh, dealing with the public politely and, and efficiently. Uh, and of course, a lot of that is really what a teacher does in terms of standing up in front of a class, uh, teaching them things and um, managing a classroom that's really what you're doing as a trainer as well in a workplace so very very related interesting thank you so I know that you currently have a collection of animal poems gorilla ballerina out with troika books and it's brilliant uh -huh. because it contains 
It's animal poems, but it contains a lot of creatures that you perhaps wouldn't normally expect to have poems written about them. Yes. Uh, well, obviously, just writing poems about dogs and cats and horses and rabbits, as much as I love them, I love any animal. Um, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, I do tend to go for themed books. Um, so I've got my superheroes book, a super villains poetry book, my food one that I've mentioned. So I wanted an animal one because I had a lot of animal poems in my head. Um, but some of them about quite unusual animals. And um, I guess um, if you've got a book about unusual animal poems, then it, it hopefully stands out from the others about the more regular animals, I guess. Hopefully. No, I agree. Um, I have to say, I'm going to have to buy myself a copy because at the moment, and this may be oversharing, but in my downstairs toilet, we have a basket of poetry books. And this is on the advice of um, AF Harold, who I'm sure you've probably heard of. Yes, Because course. he said that a poem is just the per perfect length to enjoy whilst you are going about your business. And um, my son has been very into reading poems whilst he's been there attending to his business. So I think it might be time just to add a new update and he does love animals so i think if you've got a collection of unusual animal poems it could be a good addition to our basket so you can feel really proud to think that your book will be there in our downstairs toilets oh well i, I will i will i will send you a book joe when we finish so don't don't worry about that <laughs> um you can give me your son's name and i will i will sign it for him that'd be a freebie on me don't don't worry oh, about that's that a, he'd love that and I, now I, I was going to read a poem called we want the quagga but i've actually got a poem called tarantula down your toilet so maybe i should read that one Oh, I don't know. It might put me off going to the toilet. But you pick whichever you'd prefer <laughs> or both, depending on how you feel. OK, well, we'll see how they go. You let me know if you want another one when I read this one. This is okay. Tarantula Down Your Toilet. I'm the tarantula down your toilet, your prowler in the pan. I want to bite and frighten you whatever way I can. I'll nibble on your bottom. I'll stalk you on your seat. Because, yes, you've guessed that human flesh is what I love to eat. I'm the tarantula down your toilet. I've chosen here as home. Don't linger on the loo too long while playing with your phone. Mm -hmm. For when I'm feeling hungry, my things will make their mark. You'd better switch the light on if you enter after dark. I'm the tarantula down your toilet. You'll hear me splash about. You can prod me, poke me, push me, but I'm never coming out. I could live in your cupboard, your kitchen, loft or shed. Yet in this bowl is where I roll and where I've made my bed. I'm the tarantula down your toilet who's causing you dismay. Don't get ideas to calm your fears by flushing me away. My kingdom is your bathroom where I can wander free. So pick a new location when you have the need to pee. <laughs> that's brilliant but also brilliant. truly terrifying <laughs> yes sorry about that and i can do this one which is uh, about a very unusual animal this one is so unusual it's actually extinct this is the quagga have you ever heard of the quagga joe i i have heard of a quagga but i couldn't for the life of me tell you what it looked like so maybe you could give us a kind of image in our mind before you start reading your poem yeah, well, there is there is a quokka, which is an Aussie marsupial, um, and, it, and it, it's um, it's a bit like a sort of rodenty thing, and lots of children think it's that, but it isn't. The quagga, Q U A G G A, and your listeners can Google it. Um, they'll find that it's um, an extinct subspecies of zebra that disappeared um, in the eighteen nineties. That's when it was last seen. It's now extinct. Um, and this is true. And when I tell children this often, they think it's one of Neil's jokes. Mm -hmm. um, this is absolutely true. And, and you will find out if, uh, if it is Googled. Um, 
the interesting thing about the quagga, it's not actually a zebra and it's not actually a horse. It's a subspecies of zebra, but it looks half like a zebra because its front is striped and half like a horse because its back isn't striped. It's quite unusual. Yeah. Um, and scientists are trying to recreate the quagga by breeding horses and zebras together. This is absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, now, it won't be a proper quagga because genetically it won't have quagga genes, but it might look like a quagga simply because it's half horse and half zebra. This is all true. In fact, it was even on QI on television. Um, so this is called We Want the Quagga. And it goes like this. Uh, by the way, the quaggas came from South Africa. We want the quagga. We want the quagga back. We miss if stripes of brown and white. He vanished just like that. We want the quagga. Why did he disappear? He seemed such fun and hurt no one. I've not been seen in years. We want the quagga. Where did he wander to? You won't spot him in Swaziland, New Zealand or Peru. We want the quagga from South African plains. It quag and trot, chew grass a lot and shake its shaggy mane. We want the quagga, no longer found in zoos. Although, of course, quite like a horse, a substitute won't do. We want the quagga, so sadly hunted down. First he was chased and then erased or moved on out of town. We want the quagga. We love bears, wolves and yaks, cows, camels, goats, aardvarks and scoats. But we want the quagga back. Hooray, bring back the quagga. You, you can probably guess by listening to that, um, the children have to shout out quagga every time that I read it. So we want the quagga. We want the quagga. Back. So they, they catch the, on really quickly, don't they? Oh, they do. And I never, I never ever, when I want children to join in, I never ever say, when I say this, you need to say this, because they just automatically know. Mm. All you need to do is pause. And if you introduce the poem correctly in the first place, so they know what it's about then uh, they'll call things out immediately without you saying anything else. Yeah, no, they will. They, they catch on very fast. So I know that you have quite a busy year coming up with regards to new poetry collections. You've got another one coming out with Troika, haven't you? And a collaboration with um, Joshua Seagal, who you've mentioned earlier as well. Yeah, I've actually got four books that I've written um, that were going to be out um, over the next two, two and a half years, but it might be three, three and a half years now. Obviously, most publishers are uh, temporarily shut at the moment, not uh, actually printing or, or designing any new books, uh, mm -hmm. but they're all on the schedule. Um, I've got one um, that's coming out with Troika, first of all, which is called um, um, When the Bell Goes, A Rapping, Rhyming Trip Through Childhood. And it literally is that um, all the poems in it are about childhood, growing up, my childhood and growing up, but I'm sure very similar to lots of children's uh, childhoods growing up now, even though uh, we're quite a few years apart. I think lots of things you experience as a child are, are forever similar. Um, that was due out in September, but I'm guessing it's going to be a delay to probably maybe March or even maybe the end of uh, summer next year. Um, and the one with Josh, uh, Joshua Siegel, um, that um, is called Scared, question mark, like, are you scared? Mm -hmm. That's the question mark. So scared brackets poems from the darker side mm. and these are all poems about fear about uh, being scared or frightened uh, or maybe not depending how brave you are uh, there are lots of poems in there um, about your obvious kind of scary things like skeletons and vampires and werewolves but lots of other ones maybe poems covering your first day at school being frightened of the dentist uh, having fear of heights um, maybe being scared of a teacher who's a, who's a shouty teacher you know all kinds of different aspects of fear and i'm very good friends with josh i mean we met um 
a few years ago, about eight years ago now, when I had an article in the um, Standard, uh, the, the Evening Standard uh, newspaper, I had a half-page article um, on writing in schools, and um, he saw it was when he was starting out, and he contacted me and said, well, I write poems, um, I'm really keen in developing my poetry, and can we have a chat? And we've been really good friends ever since. We meet um, every half term without fail. Um, in fact, we're meeting, um, we're coming over for a, uh, a, a um, distance walk together mm-hmm. um, on uh, Wednesday. He's coming over to see me and um, we have a lot of chat and share ideas. And um, yeah, he's a great poet and uh, he's a very good friend as well. So we thought we had Yuck and Yum out. That's gone very well. It's uh, been a really good seller for Troika too. And we thought, let's let's do another one. I think fear is a brilliant theme. I don't think I can recall any other collections of poetry that are based around that. So you've gone for a, a really unique angle there. I'll be looking out for it next year when it does eventually get published. Yeah, and it's something we will experience, isn't it? Obviously, yeah. there's, there's quite a lot of um, inspiration around now, sadly, um, because people are about frightened about lots of different things out there at the moment. Um, but you know, from when we're tiny children to, to the day we leave this world, we're, there are always things that we're frightened of, and it's really capturing them but hopefully in a fairly humorous way nothing nothing too serious we don't really want to scare people off it's it's going to be mainly a humorous book and and lots of interactive poems too fantastic thank you well that brings me to the end of all of my questions and you've answered them um beautifully so thank you very much for being such an excellent guest on the podcast you're most welcome thank you very much indeed joe thank you and all that remains me to say to you is thank you and good night okay good night to you thank you very much take care Bye 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 What a fascinating interview. I hope that's inspired you to go out and find some of Neil's poetry either online or in one of his brilliant books as well. So now it's time for some reviews from our pupil reviewers at Kempshaw Junior School. And we've got a review of A Sea of Stories, which is by Sylvia Bishop and illustrated by Paddy Donnelly. And we've also got a review of The Hideaway Deer by Holly Webb. I've been reading Sylvia Bishop and Paddy Donnelly and it's called A Sea of Stories. What happened is there was a little girl um, and she lived um, by the sea in a nice cottage. Four shelves of stuff were full of sea stuff and his grandpa was a sea sail. His her dad always bumped his knee on stuff and her, and her mum kept falling over. What did you like about it? I liked the part um, where um, she stayed at home with Grandpa and um, Grandpa was like this. What score out of ten? Um, my score out of ten was ten out of four. The Hideaway Deer from Holly Webb. Um, What happened was a girl called Lola moved away to a different city and she had a new house, so she had to go to a new school. When she went to a new school, she didn't find that many friends, but eventually she did. And she also saved saved some deer from her garden. what I liked about it was when Paige stood up for her outside 
and I didn't really dislike anything, so out of 10, I'd probably give it an 8. If you want to get hold of me for any other recommendations or just to see what I've been sent bookwise in the post recently, you can find my reviews on my blog. That's www.librarygirlandbookboy.com or you can find me in my Library Girl and Book Boy Facebook group or I am always on Twitter and Instagram as at BookSuperhero2. Don't be shy, get in touch. that's it for another podcast make sure you remember to subscribe to the library girl and book boy podcast so you don't miss out on the next episode being released stay safe take care and i'll talk to you again soon bye bye